Welcome to Everyday Driver, where cars are more than just transportation. They're freedom, a common ground, a way to grow, and can even make life better. We're here to help everyone find a car they love and discover all the ways they connect us. I'm Paul. I'm Todd. And this is The Car Debate. Happy Friday, everyone. You are hearing this while we are shooting for season nine. Mm-hmm. We're in Texas doing some rallying and uh, we're, we're hoping for the about to have a meetup. Yes. Yeah, and everybody for the meetup uh, very great. shortly. By the way, TV season nine, nine begins July 3rd, 2021 on the Motor Trend Cable Channel at 730 a.m. Eastern. Mm-hmm. It'll run for 13 weeks. So that is our Q3. We run Q1 and Q3 on the Motor Trend Cable Channel. I have a lot of work to do. That's, that's, that's uh, what happens any time you bring that yes. up is I just think yes. there's still a lot to do. There's a lot of stuff. But what this We're means excited. is as that work is happening, we are posting prior seasons on YouTube. You've yes. seen that for a while now, but the distance between when it actually airs on TV and being posted on YouTube, that gap is closing yes. more and more. Yes. So that will be uh, more frequent there. And a quick note, and thanks to our sponsor, Autotempest.com, they have added for all of us, for fans of every day, they have added the Autotempest.com slash everyday URL, so it's specific to our audience. Now, it doesn't change anything, but it's a way of tracking, and so... You know, if you're doing your drive homework or you're just mm-hmm, randomly mm-hmm. searching, hey, what do things cost these days? But that is a good way for them to see what the everyday audience is doing. Yes, absolutely. Audience. Absolutely. We, we would appreciate if you guys would do that because it does help them see how much you guys are involved. I, honestly, I can't even tell you how many of you mentioned to us in passing in your emails. So I was on Auto Tempest and I did blank. But from their side, they can't tell. So if you do right. think of it, add right. that slash every day on the back of your uh, autotempest.com search, and uh, we would love that. By the way, if you haven't noticed, all the way down, you scroll all the way down on that page, and they have classic and vintage searches, too. So if you're just curious and you're thinking about adding a fourth car, <laughs> it's there. That's what we need. I need a fourth car. <laughs> You've heard us talk about drive homework, because it's vital to drive a lot of things when trying to find your next car. Knowing your options is important. This applies to online shopping, too. You don't want to search just one website unless that site is searching all of the other ones for you. That's why we love Auto Tempest. I know you've heard us talk about it before, and we hope you've already seen how far you can shop with just one search. Auto Tempest pulls from all the top used car sites at once, so you know you won't miss a deal on that perfect car. Autotempest.com. All the cars. One search. Two really great car debates for this Friday. First off, we have James writing in from Boston. And then we have a twist of an email. Mm -hmm. Sakshi's writing in on behalf of her husband, and she's not a car person. (laughs) I really like that email. That's coming up as well. Dee, jumping into James's email here. He's asking if he's killing his car. (laughs) Sorry. Sorry. Knowing where this is going, I just find it hysterical. (laughs) Finding out what the car is and all of this. Yes, go on. So first of all, he's got a question about his daily. He picked this up a few years ago after his second Mini Cooper died at about 130,000 miles and needed an excess of $5,000 of work to keep it running. Wow. He got rid of the fun car and he went back to Toyota to get something reliable that started every morning Mm -hmm. and something that would give him zero headaches. He's just trying to get to work, save money, buy a house, (laughs) and live the American dream. Sure. Aren't we all? Yes. He didn't want to be worried if the car is going to start or not. As his minis, he said, left him stranded multiple times. And what's interesting is that he does say here that he loved, and I can't underline this enough, loved both the minis that he had. Yeah. But right, for some right. reason, both of them died kind of catastrophically around 130, 140,000 miles. 
So this was just, I truly need an appliance. What did he wind up in? Not just a Toyota. He went looking for a Corolla, and he wound up, (laughs) for brand-new Corolla money, he also could have gotten himself at that point a used 2013 Toyota Avalon Limited with everything. The heated and the cooled and the auto and all of the above. And he went, I'll get that. Yeah, he said he went to the dealership to buy the Corolla, was extremely displeased with the power, (laughs) and for the same money was that Avalon over there in the corner. He says this car does the job with ease and grace and style. After six years of ownership, he's taken it from a one-owner 33,000-mile car to almost 150,000 miles and counting. Okay. All right. I, and I'm not surprised at all. I'm not surprised in the least. And yeah. it, it's been working out great for him. So he likes the car. He just doesn't love it. It does the job it's supposed mm-hmm. to do. It's it an gives appliance. Him no thrills yeah. or excitement in any way. But he gets a very comfortable and cozy and quiet ride with an okay sound system. <laughs> We're getting to the question here. This is why he thinks he's killing it. Mm-hmm. It's because of how he drives it. <laughs> He regularly drives to and from work on his 33-mile commute with cruise control set in excess of 85 miles an hour. We're not trying to point fingers by any means, but that is entirely a personal choice. This also reminds me of when I had my Sabaru. For those of you that are listening and are new, I did not just have a stroke. I am aware that there is a word called Subaru and another word called Saab. When you own a Saab 92X, it is a Subaru and a Saab suit. I call it the Sabaru. Other people do as well. It's funny. When I had that car, I did learn, I don't remember how I learned this, <clears throat> I did learn that the cruise control would not set above 89. Oh, at, also at, a choice. At 90, the cruise control ceased to work. No kidding. It would not set above 90 miles an hour. Apparently, this is not a problem for James. He has set his cruise control as high as 100 miles an hour. And a Toyota, picture this, wherever you are in the world, picture this. By the way, he lives in the Boston area. You're in the Boston area, and a Toyota Avalon blurs by you, and unbeknownst (laughs) to you, he's on cruise control. Cruise control daily triple. That's indeed what he had. He says, during the pandemic that happened, sustained, wow, in his small town, He says the cops were not an issue and the flow of traffic usually kept pace with him. That means everybody around you is going 100 miles an hour on cruise control? Wow. I I don't know. I can't verify this. Huh. Well, if the Avalon could get away with it, I'll just tuck in behind him. Exactly. Well, he says there's no issues with the car. He maintains the car meticulously. That V6 maintains speed very well. He says usually he can obtain in excess of 30 miles to the gallon. If he sets the cruise control at a normal person's feet. If it's feet. down at yeah. 65 miles an hour. But the question here is, is he killing his car? Mm. He says, is it bad for the engine and or the transmission to be cruising at those speeds for that amount of time with high mileage? He plans to keep the car for another two years before keeping it in the family, and then it's time for something new and better for him. Mm-hmm. Or should he slow down and not be the <laughs> fastest person in the left lane? <laughs> well, but there's a sep- there's a separate issue we're not going to be able to solve here, James, and that is, Should you slow down? And to be honest, we're not the guys to ask. I am the person that proudly wears a daily triple shirt. I took a road trip recently (laughs) with my son, and I just, for fun, I threw a daily triple shirt in my bag, and I was wearing a daily triple shirt on this road trip. Mm -hmm. And it dawned on me, somewhere in the middle of the day I was wearing it, that if I get pulled over today... I'm getting a ticket. There is no talking you yourself pull, out of that one. If you pull over a guy no. that looks like me, that drives as fast as I often drive, and my T-shirt says daily triple with a Speedo on it, you're just giving that guy a ticket. Absolutely. That's, he just gets one. No mercy yes, for that for one. Yes, for sure. So, that, that's should, a personal choice, James. slow down? Don't we'll, know. The question we'll is about there. the car, though. Yes. He says, does being the first person off the green light mean this car 
could be running to potential mechanical issues? Or should he not worry about this Toyota product and keep driving it until he picks something up that's cooler? As far as the not be the fastest person in the left lane, if this were Germany, I'd say, go be that person. Uh, Sure. Have at it. Absolutely. But in the U.S. and, well, everywhere else on the planet, like I said, it's a personal choice. Only you can make that decision. We... I, I think it's very apt. We're, we're not the ones to consider this. We're, <laughs> we're not, not the, the ones, ones to, to tell ask. you no. Yeah, that's true. But, but as far as your car is concerned, think about the cars that are built in Germany. They're designed specifically for this reason. And from Toyota's build quality, I don't think you're doing any damage at all. I think it's perfectly fine. If the yeah. car isn't giving you trouble, you said it runs mechanically perfect. Mm-hmm. So, I, I see no reason to worry from a mechanical standpoint. Now, regarding your green light, you're going to get, well, not good 30, 30 miles to the gallon yeah, gas that's mileage. Yeah. That's really what you're getting. I mean, generally speaking, I feel like Toyota engines are understressed. Mm-hmm. They could make a whole lot more power. Certainly in They're just understressed. Certainly in the situations like the standard Corolla or the Camry or the Avalon. Yeah. That is not a drivetrain or a setup or a tuning, if you will that that engine is barely hanging together because it's so high-stressed. It's right. way down the middle. This, these, are, these are those cars I've joked about before that will run in spite of you. Absolutely. And you, James, are a person that's maintaining it. This is a car that I guarantee you Toyota was grudgingly planning for someone to forget that the oil needed to be changed for 60,000 miles. They're, they're thinking this way for cars yeah. like that. They are set so down the middle of the road. So what you're doing is you're pushing something that is set up for middle of the road into maybe 75% of what it can probably do. Because I doubt that is set up in such a way that when you're going 100 miles an hour, I doubt that engine is anywhere close to its red line still. Oh, absolutely not. And think about the bench testing for those engines Mm -hmm. and what Toyota engineers have put those engines through. For sure. They're beating on it far harder than they know will be regularly used by most people. Even at at 50% or 75% output, they still want that engine to work and be reliable. That's what they're engineering it for. So therefore, for the normal driver who doesn't drive that way, there's going to be zero issues. Yeah, yeah. It's the engineering and bench testing that you know every car company does. And they test it at a high level. They run those things on the, on the mm-hmm. bench. Yeah. I'm sensing, uh, James, because you had two minis that died at 130,000 miles, and you are beating on this Avalon, which I think is just going to take it. I sense your heart on cars. Yeah. And that's okay. That's okay. I just, I I want you to be careful about where is this thing shifting? Are all the fluids new? It sounds like you're you're pretty meticulous about that. But as long as all of that stuff that can wear out is being maintained, because what you're essentially doing is you are just accelerating things wearing out. Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. you're accelerating the wear out of things that ultimately that's what they're there for. They will wear out. Right. Right. So I, I think this Avalon will have problems down the line, but my problems are, oh, those pieces need to be replaced. I don't think it's like, I destroyed the engine and transmission. But you are going to go through everything faster because you're going faster. And it it sounds like he does, and you're going to have to continue to do that. But, you know, again, that's that's personal choice there. He says he misses the Mini Coopers. He had an 06 supercharged manual and a 2012 S manual fully loaded. But then... He rented a cool car on Turo in Savannah, Georgia, 2019 Jaguar F-Pace S, and was totally blown away. He said, I had no idea bigger SUVs could be so much fun, sound so good, and look so good. And why do they? Why are they this way? (laughs) Slightly out of the price range. 
but it has him thinking about his next vehicle. Mm-hmm. So we're thinking past the Avalon now, and and I agree. I think that car's just going to run. If you're going to have to really pay attention to the maintenance, yes, and agreed. you do, but just mm-hmm. over pay attention to mm-hmm. it and keep keep it really nice. But once you do, I think based on your next section of the email here, yes, he says he would like something with all wheel drives. Commuting in the wintertime is not fun. He wants something with 400 plus horsepower. We know how fast James drives. Yes. Low-ish to the ground, has a clutch pedal, panoramic roof, Apple CarPlay, good looks. And he said, did I mention 400 plus horsepower? I heard that part, yeah. He says he's currently in the process of purchasing his first house, building a real estate empire, saving to get married, (laughs) saving for his first child, so he shouldn't spend money on cars, but he's still thinking. But you're a car guy. I see where we're going. Exactly. Exactly. He says he's got a comfortable budget between 400 and 800 per month to spend on his next car. Whoa. But ultimately, he says he really wants a 911, a 991.2, 911.4S, something like that. I I get that. I could see it. I can see how that works. Um, I've got a few car recommendations for you, but my first thing for you, James, is, and I'm just going to, I'm going to push on you a little bit here. Why over 400 horsepower? Mm. You haven't had that. You give us your car history. That's, that's not who you are. It's not the kind of stuff you've had. Everything you've had has been, well, frankly, less than 300. Right. Right. So I... I don't, I don't think that is some sort of magic fix-all. We've driven enough things with a lot of power that I can say that power is really great, but power does not make a car good. I know that's controversial. Now, power can make a car better. It can make a car better, but it doesn't, it's not the single so defining feature I, to make a car good. I have Indeed. some recommendations for you that are not all of the budget you're talking about. Because look, would you like a 991-911-4S? Yes, I think you would. That mm-hmm. That's not yeah. even hard. It yeah. does everything you're talking about with the all-wheel drive. I, I, I love that. It'd be great. But I think that 400 horsepower figure, I think that could hold you back from good options. Mm-hmm. So I have some others there that I think are good. For example, WRX or an STI. Okay. Why not get one of those? Go get an Evo X. Get an Evo 10. I know they're older now, but you could spend half your budget. Get one and love it. Get a five-speed of that, the GSR, and I guarantee you, you would just laugh with that car. Right, right. I think you'd thoroughly enjoy that. You also could get, now the clutch pedal goes away, <clears throat> sorry, the AMG GLA 45 that we like. Yeah, Gentleman's hatch with a ton of power. Yep. You're not going to drive that car and be like, this isn't powerful enough. That car's fast. <laughs> it really is. So, by the way, so is the Evo 10 in the stock form. And the Ford Focus RS... Also quite fast. Also not 400 horsepower stock. All of those are good. My last one for you, though, comes right off your Jag experience. Okay. What about getting yourself a Cayenne with a stick shift? Interesting. Get yourself an early Cayenne GTS. Actually, you can get them later than that. You can even get second generations with it. have got a stick shift in some cases. You get an early GTS Cayenne. Spend half your budget. You get your way into Porsche. You could probably do it sooner. You have... All-world, all-weather capability, it's going to be fast. You've already seen that SUVs can be fast. Totally yes. different experience for you and manual transmission. That's I, my list. I really love that. Yeah, especially in manual. It's going to be a rare beast. It's going to be a bit of a search. Yes, but I think if he's he's feeling like somewhere down the line, hopefully 9-11, I'm just going, well, you could solve this and also surprise yourself right now. James, I wonder about what more power. If you're already driving as fast as you are, as you claim, I'm wondering what more power will do. And I've got two sides of the issue on here because on one hand, power sells power is what people want. Yeah. I love having power and to break the speed limit. You don't need 150 horsepower. You're right. You're absolutely right. 200 is fine. 250. You can still break the speed limit a lot quickly. In 
cheap yes. underpowered cars. Mm-hmm. It just happens. Mm-hmm. So to have more horsepower, I'm scratching my head thinking, well, shoot, if we give James more horsepower. Uh, What's the cruise control set at now? Yeah. Are yeah. you just breaking Guinness records left and right? Or <laughs> did anyone, now what? Did the cops see you or were you just a blur of color? Right. What happened? Yeah. Like, ah, it's James. He's going to work. Whatever. But over here, I love power. Do we need 1,000 horsepower electric whatevers? I'm asking. We, we, we don't, by the way, but it's going to happen, and it is happening. It already is happening. Do we need 700 horsepower, 800 horsepower, Hellcat powered anything? No, but it sells. They're awesome. People love them. And they're hysterical. They're hysterical to drive. Yes. So I, I go back and forth, and I ask you, do you need 400 horsepower? Mm-hmm. I went a different direction for you, James. Okay, good. I started normal. And first of all, I applaud your 911 decision. You don't need to spend quite that much. I found you 2003 996 generation 911 turbo with 63,000 miles for only 57,000. That's a lot of car for the money. That not, sounds delightful. It's not as modern as he wants, but that's a lot of car for the money. It's not, but the modernity that you're asking for can be improved. You want Bluetooth and CarPlay? You're right. You can fix that. You can do it from Pick Porsche. any car. Porsche's doing that for all their exactly. old models anyway. You're right. You can just plug in the Porsche product. You're more concerned about power anyway, it sounds like, yeah, and the driving point, experience. Point, yeah. I thought about the Chevy SS. That's always a contender. But if we're talking this budget for you and I'm spending your money, what about an E39 BMW M5? That is the recipe what it you're is. looking for. It's not all-wheel it's drive. The car. You'd love it. You'd love it. Yeah. Clutch, 400 horsepower, yeah. upgrade the tech. Yeah. Cool car. Yep. That's good. I thought about the E53 Mercedes AMG. I thought about the GTS. Mm. But I threw all that out. Not that I don't want you to have a 911. (laughs) I like it when you just clear the table and go, you know what car? Keep going. What about your own cheap sedan challenge? Oh. Because you mentioned you're trying to build an empire with your life over here, but you're Mm -hmm. still a car enthusiast. Yeah, Yeah. What about spending less? Because the way you treat your Avalon now isn't nice. You do the maintenance, but you're not treating it nicely. Mm-hmm. And you want something fun and fast to drive. And I don't expect he's going to treat whatever's next any nicer. Unless he spends a lot of money. Maybe. And then it starts to own him. Uh, that, well, that's a fair point. Yeah. So let's I back away so from much that. now I'm terrified. That's right. an interesting point. Yeah. And let's go after the cars that were designed to do the thing you want ah, them to do. I see where you're going. Like the older Mercedes S class, Mm -hmm. like the older, the E 38 generation BMW seven series that Mm -hmm. 94 to sure. I think all the way to 2001, the James Bond one, essentially. Yes. That seven series, get them for cheap. Those cars were specifically designed Mm -hmm. to run on the Autobahn at 150 miles an hour with the cruise control on get an S eight. Yes. Get the Audi S eight. They're cheap. Relatively speaking, they are very cheap. The V 10 will be very cheap to buy. Just (laughs) be careful with (laughs) the the ownership. You need to be very careful. (laughs) Granted in a lot of these, you might lose your manual transmission, but you gain a, you you gain a bomber. Yes. They're fantastic. They're older and you're already good at the maintenance thing. Mm -hmm. So let's keep that up and buy a car that was designed for it from the beginning. Not bad. And since you liked Jag, how about the 2003 to 2007 Jag XJR? Very good. Our friends at Griot's Garage have got a new line of ceramic products to make your car care easier and more satisfying than ever. You can start with the new Ceramic Wash & Coat, an ultra-slick formula that can be used with either the bucket wash method, the foaming sprayer, the cannon, or whatever Paul has come up with now. We take Speed Shine with us on every single shoot. It's the ultimate for quick detailing, and now it has ceramic protection too. 
Ceramic Speed Shine maintains a slippery gloss finish in between your main washing and protection days. And they even have ceramic trim wipes for long-lasting protection on plastic trim. Try any of these products individually or use them as your new wash routine. They're 100% guaranteed and all the liquid products from Griot's are made in the USA. And don't forget to use the new code EDRIVER when you're ordering from griotsgarage.com. Our audience gets 15% off liquids and 10% off everything else. That's Griot's, G-R-I-O-T-S. Enjoy the finest quality car care products you can buy at griotsgarage.com. Sakshi writes to us. I love this. About her commitment-phobic husband. And it has nothing to do with their relationship, no, by the way. No, it doesn't. They're, they're very committed, and she loves him very much. So much so, this is my favorite part, she wrote to a podcast she doesn't like. <laughs> That's what I think is great. I can almost hear the exhaustion coming through <laughs> her right. fingertips. You're so right. Writing to us. She says, hi, Todd and Paul. My husband is a regular listener to your podcast, and to my utter dismay, Talks about cars all the time. <laughs> to my utter dismay. <laughs> I just like that so much. I'm sorry, Sakshi, but I'm also just laughing because that's amazing. Sakshi and her husband moved from India to the U.S. seven years ago. One of her husband's biggest excitements has been given access to buying a lot of nicer cars. Okay. But since he's been in the U.S., he's bought only one, hmm. a Mazda 3, and he's driven it for seven years. Which means in spite of the fact that he's car obsessed, he's very responsible for them. Yeah, good very point. Interesting. Keep and going. I think Sakshi appreciates that a lot. Clearly. But again, to her but we're, utter we're, we're dismay. Reaching, we're reaching a breaking point because he, she says that his workplace is an hour away. He commutes every day. He's been lusting after German cars but refuses to buy one. Again, he's being very responsible because he's concerned about the maintenance cost and the high mileage he would put on by commuting this much. And she's going, listen, this is such a role reversal. I love this. Mm -hmm. She's saying, I think he's overthinking it. Why not just get one and have it for a bit? I love this. (laughs) She hasn't been doing any research. She hasn't been reading about him. But this is just, I I think, the the intuition, Mm -hmm. feminine intuition there. Yeah, yeah. Now, she says they can probably spare twenty dollars to $25,000 for the new car, but as busy as their jobs are, they wouldn't want a car that needs constant repairs. Okay. She is suggesting to him to buy an Acura and call it a day because she owns one. Mm-hmm. It's and been reliable it. yep. and enjoyable for her commute. But he doesn't like it. And it, he seems German car smitten. Hence, they are stuck. <laughs> I love it. They've test-driven a BMW 3 Series, an Audi A4, the Genesis, and a Mercedes uh, C-Class. They like the Mercedes and the Genesis, but she thinks he's being (laughs) commitment-phobic. This is one of those – this may be a first time ever (laughs) that the husband is listening to the – we don't even know his name. Right. Her husband is listening to the podcast and pulling his wife in and going, did you do this? Absolutely. I love this. It's so great. She thinks his focus on longevity and reliability is – taking away from the fun, comfortable experience and any car suggestions that are comfortable for a long commute and have reasonable maintain expenses, maintenance expenses will be great. She thinks on a side note, she says it will help her too, <laughs> as she doesn't necessarily love his current car, which she finds noisy and rattly and apparently needs to go. This is the breaking point email yes, to the is. point where she on her own volition, writes to us I love it. to it, make this happen. Uh, We've so- got to make it happen. By the way, Sakshi's husband, I wish we had your name. You're listening now, aren't you? You're paying <laughs> attention. I love this. This is great. By the way, postscript here, she liked the podcast for non-car people. She definitely could relate to it. <laughs> we'll have to bring my wife back for more of That's that. Great. That's funny. Well, Sakshi's husband, we're diving in. We've got to find you something. Yep. I'm going to start with your German car love. Mm-hmm. And I like the fact that you drove the Genesis and liked it. 
Yes, agreed. And you're looking for the reliability, but you also want that German car look and feel. Mm-hmm. Albert Biermann, formerly Vice President of Engineering at BMW Motorsport, is now the President and Head of R&D Division at Hyundai. From a design standpoint, Luke Donkervolka from Lamborghini, Bentley, Skoda, and Audi, Sang-Yup Lee, the Camaro designer from GM, mm-hmm, and Chris mm-hmm. Chapman, also from, from BMW, not to mention Kareem Habib, who is now Senior Vice President of Kia Global Design, are formerly from BMW. Yep. These cars are great price, mm-hmm. they're reliable, mm-hmm. and designed and engineered by former BMW people. You're right. Across the board, which is why they're so good now. Yes. The, the, Hyundai Kia is doing now what BMW was doing in the early 2000s when we were all in love with them. Mm-hmm. All the folks that were doing it then have all moved to Hyundai Kia, which is why they're so good now. Yep. Yep. Anything from Genesis Hyundai Kia. I was looking at the 2022 Genesis G70. It starts at $37,000. That's out of your budget. It is, yes. But I'm recommending for you, Sakshi's husband, a slightly used Hyundai Veloster N. Whoa, I didn't see that coming. You'll have your... Cake and eat it too. Mm-hmm. It's a Hyundai. It's going to be reliable. It's a little hatch. My husband drives just, a, it's just a hatchback. It's also a rally car and it handles great. And it's fast and it makes <laughs> it snorty, weird noises. And you will giggle the entire time. That's funny. I you drive think, it. That's more hardcore than I wit, but I do like Done. it. Done. It that's will good. give him enough hardcore. He can commute in it. It'll be yeah, a little bit course. hardcore, yeah, but yeah. that will feed into his enthusiast performance car love, knowing in his heart that Albert Bierman from BMW is part of the team and they've it. got a whole bunch of German designers and excellent people there at the, at the company. Mm-hmm. I know a lot of them that will ease your mind from a reliability standpoint and knowing when you want to dip into it, mm-hmm. it's going to go, it's going to move. I like this. I hadn't, I hadn't gone there. That's very good. And then Sakshi, I, I'm really suggesting this for your sake, because when your husband is giggling and laughing and having a great time with his car, You'll be happy too. You would think hopefully. so. Yeah, well, hopefully that it won't be feel rattly and loud to you, but they are they are really great. And they now come in DCT, so you can get it in the dual clutch, yeah. which will make commuting easier. So 20 to 25, I, I sure. See it. I see it. That's good. That's very good. Um, Sakshi's husband, I, I so wish we had your name, but um, <laughs> I'm hearing the German car love. Even through Sakshi, I'm really hearing that that's what oh, you yeah. want. I'm also hearing that you kind of want that Autobahn bomber we've been talking about. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The thing that just is a vault going down the road with great interior, and you just you want to commute that way. Sure. But you're scared of it, and I sure. get that. To Sakshi's point about Acura, I want to go side note here real quick. I'm not a fan, we're not a fan, of people having two of the same brand in their garage. If you were going to Porsche, look... but whatever. Uh, okay. If you were going to look at Acura, I will tell you this. The new TLX is wonderful. We just don't fit. Me specifically, yeah. I really don't fit, yeah. and that makes me angry because the car is so large. Why is there not more interior space? Yep. However, in spite of the fact that I, weird, freaky torso don't fit, it is a great car to drive. It is. Yeah. So you should yeah. at least drive the TLX and see what you think because I think it might surprise you. I love that you're already looking at Genesis. I think the G70 would thrill you as a car you owned. Mm-hmm. I think you would just mm-hmm. love it because if you have an opportunity, we don't really know what your commute is like. If you have an opportunity to have a dynamic Here's my clover leaf every time. I think you would love that car. But if you're just cruising or if you're sitting in stop and go traffic, you're going to love sitting there in the Genesis G70. I think that's a great one. I also I want to give you both permission for your next car to not be perfectly reliable. And also, I mean, that's a scary sentence it's because a very the, scary sentence. the the yes. work dominating and their Absolutely. commutes and they But you scary. can have a less than perfect car. 
Because here's the flip side. There's plenty of people that have bought the cars that were supposed to be, and they've written to us, supposed to be the most perfect reliable car, and then something random blew up on a Thursday 10,000 miles in, okay? (laughs) That does happen, too. You can't guarantee that the car you're going to buy is going to just run. Of course. So I'm going to say two things. Get something that you really like with this money. Don't require it to be perfect because cars need stuff. And also keep it for two or three years, which led me here. Okay. I think you should lease something German. Oh. Take away all, you have budget that allows you to actually lease. Think in lease terms through two, three years. Yeah. Go get a Mercedes C-Class or a BMW that you like. Trick it out your way because what happens when you lease those cars is you're getting brand new for far less than what it cost if you bought it. Put your money toward that. All everything it ever needs is covered under the lease period. The fear is gone. And then Hmm. in two or three years, you can assess what do we want to do? Do we want to buy out this lease? Do we want to lease something else? Do we want to get a Mazda 3 Turbo? Right. Well, feels, he's got the three now. I'm, I'm but, saying, you know. but you see what I'm saying? Yeah, Something yeah, yeah, that yeah. is Japanese and reliable but has a German feel about the interior, which I think the current Mazda 3 Turbo I, is that. I agree to that. Okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's why I go there. Okay. So I'm just thinking, what about just leasing a Mercedes C-Class? Just Because I, I feel that. like that is the the lowest stress way to try out this experience. And also because it's new and all the maintenance is covered, you're covered. Mm-hmm. You're yeah. so covered. And yeah. you can have that life experience because that's the other thing about it is if you are doing a couple year lease, it's just a couple years, two, three years. Okay. You, it doesn't have to be shopping with a 10 years in mind. This is something we all get stuck in. True. We're worried about yeah. our budgets and we just, yeah. I just need to keep what I've got. It needs to keep running. You don't have to keep cars forever. So I really think leasing is the twist here that really might work for you. I'm going to give you one other wild card in here though, that you haven't considered and you should at least go drive. Okay. Go drive. The upper level trims of the Volvo S60. Those are so good. Let that sedan with 400 horsepower and let's see, it's Ooh. an engine with a turbo and a supercharger and a hybrid system. They are fast. Oh, they're so fast. Watch our yes. test drive on it. And yeah. the interior is wonderful and the seats are incredibly comfortable. And I guarantee you, Sakshi's husband, no one will see you coming. If That's, you would like to yes. rival our friend James, who's doing cruise control at 100 miles an hour, they'll pull him over in the Avalon before they will you in the Volvo, because they'll be like, guy in a Volvo, what do we care? Guy in Volvo. It's just, they are fast, and they, but they're fantastic to sit True. still in. Now, the only caveat there is they, you're going to have to lease that one, too. I agree. Because the one we had was about $64,000. That was MSRP on the Monroney. Yes. So look at leasing for that. I love that idea. That is Another level, but it will give you that German car feel because Mm -hmm. of the materials, because of the construction. Yeah. Yeah, and the yeah. thought, the attention Fantastic to detail. Fantastic road car. It does give you that feeling. So I, that's First good. time in a while I feel like I've gone there, Sakshi, but I just feel like you guys need to experiment, and experimenting at this kind of budget level with cars is scary, but this is where leasing can help you. Sakshi, many, many thanks for writing to us. It's, it was a great email to get. Hilarious. I loved it. Yeah. Please keep us posted. I hope your next email to us is one of confidence and joy and a triumphant email of my husband bought blank. We went and did this. That's what we wish for you. So you've got some driving homework, Sakshi's husband, and uh, let us know if you've got your own car debate, everyday driver TV at gmail.com, just like James, just like Sakshi and write to us your story as well. DriveShare is the coolest online car sharing platform around. I even have my car on there. It's simple. By connecting car owners with renters, DriveShare unlocks the joy of driving. You can drive something crazy cool. 
That way, renters can find cars that bring out the awesome at every moment, while owners can earn extra cash to fund their passion. To sign up, cruise over to driveshare.com or download their app for iOS or Android. That's driveshare.com. We're still mining great audience questions from the last couple of times we've asked. If you haven't followed along so far, we take them any way you want to send them. Ideally, we get them on social media, which is Facebook, or we also have a great Instagram account that many of you are on. We also take questions on Twitter as well. Some of you write them in via email. That works too. I'm just going to say this one more time real quick, and that is if you have a car debate, please send that to EverydayDriverTV at Gmail or through the contact form on our website, EverydayDriver.com. Please try, don't try to send car debates through the social media questions because we just we don't absorb them that way. Mm, we yeah, love that you yeah. send us car debates and topic Tuesdays and that kind of stuff. That's great. Many, many great questions have come in. I'm going to start right here with Ryan who says he's thinking of three cars. None of them are lightweight or rear wheel <laughs> drive or 50, 50 weight distribution. So they aren't the perfect ones, if you will, like you'd have a Miata or an 86 or whatever we talk about as 2000. He's saying, which of these has the best steering feel? Oh, Alpha yeah. Julia Quadrifolio, Hyundai Veloster N, Mitsubishi Evo 10. Mm. Steering feel? Mm. I'm going to go Evo. Feel? Evo? I'm going to go Evo. Really? Mm-hmm. That's a slice next to that Alpha. It, but see, here's the thing. I think the Alpha, because it's rear-wheel drive and has an unbelievably fast steering rack, is the most sports car feeling of the three. And it mm. has the best turn in, but it is an electric steering rack and it has electric drive-by-wire braking, which is a yeah. little weird, which I know is not what we're talking about. Right, right, but I'm right. just saying these are things that, that push you back a little bit, whereas the Evo is still hydraulic everything and it's pushing power to the various wheels. You can feel it, unlike any, almost any car I've ever been in, where the power is pushing to the okay. wheels to help you turn. I think feel in steering, feel of how the car is cornering what it's doing, I think the Evo wins for these reasons. Interesting. I, I can see that even though all-wheel drive tends to deaden things a bit in cars. It de- definitely but does. But the Evo 10 is dramatic in its feel and overcoming that. That's mm-hmm. one of the reasons Absolutely. we discovered that car a decade ago when yeah. it came out. We're yeah, astounded yeah. by this car. I think I was singing songs to it or something when it came out. And we couldn't believe how good it was. <laughs> I was writing odes to the car. And you did. Painting pictures and going, how are all-wheel drive cars this good and fun to drive? Mm -hmm. And that's why we like it so much. But I do think that Alpha is so astounding. I think it surprises people. Oh, without question. It surprises people in basement. You don't have to go quadrifolio. Yeah. Drive a base car, throw it into a corner and go, what just happened? But in no way does that mean the Veloster N is bad. It's still a lot of fun, Mm -hmm. but I think it is third because of the front-wheel drive nature of the car, even though they have overcome so much. And it's it's fine. It almost is a personal preference here, but it's a fine line between all three of these cars. But you've named some very, very good ones. I'll put it to you this way, Ryan. All three of those cars are cars that I would personally own. Yeah. They're all excellent. (laughs) They really are. On Instagram, Alex HC09 says, would we rather automakers produce fun cars, but they're all white and gray, no wraps, <laughs> with questionable design, mm. or would we rather they produce dull SUVs and CUVs, but they're only available in bright colors with great design? Well, definitely the fun cars. I mean, come on. The fun cars I will take in white or gray. Mm-hmm. I can stomach that enough to have the fun and to enjoy the fun cars. With and, and questionable design, by the way, is subjective. I have a holder. Sure it is. Yeah. It, it really is. So yeah. something that Beaver Teeth might turn people Somebody off. Somebody might, Other be, people fine might with it. be like, yeah. now, if you're in the car and you get to drive it, then you don't have to look at the car. Who cares? No, I was sitting at the school run today in the BMW Z4 
which yeah. as we all know is, is a light blue. Mm-hmm. And I realized, first off, I'm smaller than the sea of SUVs around me, so I couldn't see a lot of cars. Yeah. But I counted, and every car I could see in my vision, in front of me, to the sides of me, and behind me, there were 20 cars. One was not a monochromatic color. The other 19 were white, gray, silver, or black. And I started even noticing because I realized everything Sheesh. in my vision that wasn't grass or school kids leaving the school was monochrome. I just don't get the white super outback thing. They're, they're an infestation <laughs> in got, Utah. They're I everywhere. I just don't get it. They're great cars, but oh man, it's boring. Anyway, uh, Kojo88 says, what do you do with a car you love but are bored with? You've listened to this podcast. You know where this is going to go. You say you've got a Ford Freestyle that you love, but you're bored with it. It's got to go. Eject. Go. Yep. Now, yep. now, is there a situation where that car has a specific purpose in your life that keeps it around? Okay. Possibly. Fair, fair. Okay. But you're going to need to get into a new experience mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. typically cars, they, they take up enough of our time, space, and money that you're bored with it. Yeah. Uh, get it out. Get something yeah. else. Right. Right. Unless you've... Yeah, reach the end of its driving capabilities, and you're, but still, it could still be fun, and therefore you keep it. But otherwise, yeah. Petrolhead2003 says, Why haven't the Japanese made a genuine competitor to German sports sedans like the M3, M5, C63, and E63? I think it's because of the market. Yeah. Do you really see German business people buying a Japanese sedan at that performance level mm. when they live in Germany? <laughs> And using it for those Autobahn things, because all those Fair cars point. you named were born out of the Autobahn usage. Yeah, that's a good point. They have it in their backyard. That is how you get around Germany. Yeah, that's I mean, true. if you're flying Munich to Berlin, yeah, get on an airplane. But otherwise, you're driving. You choose to drive because, yeah. A, it's fun. <laughs> B, you might have the car to do it in, and you can go fast. And in some cases, you can beat the traffic and the madness of going to the airport, sitting there waiting for the plane to take off, having the plane right. taxi, having it fly. You're bombing down the Autobahn. You got it done. Exactly. So can you imagine some competitor mm-hmm. coming in? Dodge doesn't sell Hellcats in Germany. That's a good point. Here's Dodge with a capable car, a 200 plus mile an hour car to be able to go do that. The right car. And yet they don't sell them in Germany. That's a good point. I don't think they see sales volume there, mm-hmm. even low sales numbers, because given the choice, what are German business people and German enthusiasts going to buy? One of the cars you suggested. So for the Japanese to enter that market, it's got to be incredible worlds better. And the price is such that it's so compelling, Mm -hmm. but what's the business case for it? They absolutely could. They've got the chops. They've got the design. They've got the capabilities and resources to do it. But what's the design or sorry, the business case for doing that? Well, and also if we're going to do something like that, what we're talking about with all of these cars is even if they're all wheel drive, they are rear wheel drive chassis. They're designed to be rear-wheel drive cars. Most of the Japanese automakers are making front-wheel drive chassis Mm -hmm. that can throw power to the rear when necessary. So we're talking about now. Now, look, Lexus has done this for a long time, and they've done it successfully. But we're talking about somebody making a rear-wheel drive biased chassis and then the performance version. Mm Mm-hmm. So that is – how do you amortize out the costs of doing that? That's got to be uh, figured out. And that's why most everything's front-wheel drive as a result. Yep. Yep. Drake 777 says, we're each gifted – the entire automotive lineup of a car brand offered in the United States. Mm. Which would it be and why? Which car brand would we take their entire lineup for free? Oh, 
I, I think I have an answer that's almost a cop-out. By the way, you did say that Paul's not allowed to pick Porsche and I'm not allowed to pick Lotus. You did take those off the table. Oh. So I, I think I have an answer here that's going to feel like a bit of a cop-out, but I'm going to go there anyway. Okay. Alfa Romeo. Are you? Stelvio Julia 4C. Yeah. Yeah, I could and see I'm that. Out. I could see that. I'm out. I'm done. See, at this point, as much as I love BMW and as good as they are, I don't think I want the entire lineup. <laughs> It's that, fast, sure. and yeah. I don't. There's a lot of cars in there. I don't there's want. There's cars in there. You're just like, why do I have one of those? So yeah. Porsche's out. Hellcatting everything is fun, but I need more than just the power. I, I need a balance. Hmm. Mercedes, especially the AMGs. I could see that. Yeah, I could it's see gonna be you Mercedes. having one of every Mercedes and being a quite happy man. Yeah, yeah. it is. Noah Borley so three says when the 400Z was introduced. We had a critique about the styling. We said it was something along the lines that we didn't feel was progressing the styling along or something that we wish had made it not look as much as like, like the old ones. So he's wondering what I have because I have a love for Porsche who is very famous for styling. That's similar to the previous generation. <laughs> that was kind. That was very kind. <laughs> So he's wondering if we have a comment about that. I do indeed. And I'm not going to be kind to Porsche. Porsche is stuck. Mm. They're almost obligated. I mean, they are obligated to continue that on. Absolutely. They are. Whereas I don't feel that way about Nissan Mm. and Porsches will sell. They retain their value. Porsches are just going to sell almost regardless of what they look like. To some degree. I yeah. hate to say it. As long as they look vaguely like the 911, yes. somehow they all just sell. But they're stuck. I am being hard on Porsche for that yeah. reason. As much yeah. as I like them, they can't go anywhere else. It's mm-hmm. going to be hard. It's going to have to be a new model. Let's say they come out with the, the range below the Boxster and the mm-hmm. Cayman. It's going to look like the you know cues of the 550 Spider. It's still going to pull on yeah, history. You're right. You're right. You're right. What can they do? Mm-hmm. They can't go completely against the same kind of style. And the only place they even get close, if you think about this, is their hypercars. The True. 918, True. the Carrera GT, they still look related, but they are the ones that are the craziest because that's the the, the grand one-off, if you will. And they can go a little bit nuts, mm-hmm. but most everything else looks kind of like the 911, which looks kind of like the prior 911, which looks kind of like the prior 911, and on we go. Here's a continued example of that, Noah, and that is the book that came out just a few months ago about the behind the scenes, the Porsches that never were, yeah, all those yeah. experimentations that they did. They even had a little van in there. Mm-hmm. That was cool, but it didn't say Porsche. I mean, it said Porsche, but it it didn't have <laughs> it that. It didn't feel. look like it. Yeah, it didn't sure. have that flavor. And all the rest of the concepts, as much as I like them and desperately want to build, they were derivatives of nine oh sixes and nine oh eights and their mm. history. They were still stuck. As cool as they are, interesting. Whereas Nissan needs to sell cars. Yeah, they have an opportunity, and they have defined it with the Z thirty two generation that you used to have. Yes, that looked nothing like anything else in the Z lineup, and is now beloved and included as part of that. Mm-hmm. That set the precedence for doing something completely different. Yes, and absolutely. here they are doing a retro ish kind of look that didn't it didn't push design forward for them. It didn't push the Z car forward where the Z thirty two did. Yeah. And that's what, to me, the Z car represented. It pushed it forward into something new and different. And here was this opportunity, mm-hmm. golden opportunity, lost. I'll go you one further in that same vein. You're ex- I, I completely agree with you, 100% agree with you, because that Z32 is the exception to the rule, and it is the only one that non-Nissan people lust after. Yes. If and you're not a person that typically likes, years later. likes Z cars, you're all, those people are still like, yeah, those are cool. 
Yeah. The 90s ones are cool. I don't like the rest, but I've had that conversation with people, okay? But if you like Z cars, they're supposed to all look the same, and that's the oddball, and that's weird, but I'll give you one that is also happening right now, the Corvette. Yeah, good point. The C8 Corvette looks like nothing else that's ever happened in the whole Corvette lineup, and Thank we you. think yes. that's for the better. Yes. Now, that's, now, obviously, in that case, it's driven by the mid-engine architecture. I, I know, I know, right. I know, I know. Right. But what's fascinating is to be at a Cars and Coffee and to watch people discover C8s. <laughs> because at first glance, they don't know what it is. And right. then they think they like it, and then they discover it's a Corvette. They want to name other exotic names before yes. they land on Corvette. Yes, I have, I have been at Cars and Coffee and watched this happen. Yeah. Okay? Why couldn't Nissan have a Corvette C8 moment? I'm not saying take the Z car mid-engine. I'm not saying that. No, exactly. But I'm just saying it, the whole back third of the car is the old 240. Yeah. It just, it is. It's, yeah. it's way too much. To, I, that's the car you should do your next design video on. Mm. You should do the Z car. Yeah. Which we, by the way, very much want to drive the 400Z. We think the fact that it's coming, fairly affordable, and will have a manual transmission is going to be the tipping point that makes Toyota drop a manual Supra. Yeah. That's going to be the reason I, I it shows so. up. I think so. And I'm waiting for the, the official car to come out because we've seen it up to this point. And as of this recording, the official final, here it is finally, mm-hmm. yeah. because yeah. it was a toe in the pool. It was a, we're going to test yeah, it out. Yeah, yeah. Maybe the audience will like it and just giving themselves an out just in case everybody hated it. Mm-hmm. They've got an opportunity to say, just kidding. We were kidding. Here's the real one. It's better now, right? You like it? Cause we did a focus group with everyone. Yeah. We did internet-wide focus group. It's pretty much what <laughs> yeah. they did. It's very funny, yeah. So they, they've left themselves an out. So I'm waiting for that to drop. But once it does, yeah, you can bet I'm doing a design video on that one. Rescue Pet Motorsports is calling me out. Oh, yes. He yep. says, uh, I, I made a comment about I'm just I'm not interested in getting a 911. It's just not a car that I'm intrigued by because they're so common. Fair enough. And I you go to Cars and Coffee, and I'm telling you, like a third of the cars are going to be 911s in some form. Sure, I and, understand. And having driven all of them with the 50 years of 911, I can't sit here and say they're not cool. They're very cool. They drive very well. I get it. I understand it. I'm not drawn to it. Sure. It's that it's that person that you meet who your friend is dating, and you think, they're awesome. I'm not attracted to them at all. Right. Sure. I, I just don't get it. So sure. that's me in the 911. But he says, hang on. Hang on. If I'm going to draw a line in the sand and say, I don't want a 911 because they're too common, have I also ruled out my ever owning a Corvette, a Miata, a Cayman, or a Boxster, <laughs> or other things that are very common? You, you made me kind of think about this for a minute. And what I realized is, what I like is the stuff that is unique. Mm. And so there are some Corvettes I would own. There are some I would not. Sure. Because sure. they are the unique or the oddball one. Okay. Or the, the special version. I would do some of that. I would have a Miata RF if I fit, because I think eh, that you'd design, own it and make it. You'd make yes. it happen regardless. I just yeah. I, I struggle with the idea of I'm going to buy this car and drive it home uncomfortably. That just that strikes me. You should at least be able to get home comfortable. Yeah. Have pain later. Yeah. Anyway, but I would buy an RF because I I'm, I'm going to go way out on a limb here right now. I think the Miata RF design wise is the modern E type. Mm. I think in twenty thirty years people are still going to be looking at that design going that's gorgeous. The surfaces would, are so clean. I would have an RF. Yeah, they're I so would. good. They're but so I, good. I would have an RF before I would have a standard Miata, which is kind of funny. Right. But because right. I like the styling so much. I would have a Boxster Spider. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they're gorgeous. More than an original Boxster. Yeah, I just I gorgeous. like the little oddball tweaks. These are great the special cars. editions that cost more. Yes, exactly. Because mm-hmm. uh, let's be honest, the 911 that I really like was the 997 GT3 RS 4.0. 
which was already on its way up when we drove it and now is just unreachable. I also love the GT2 RS, which is just like, yeah, bring a different person's (laughs) wallet, you know, so (laughs) bring not your wallet. It's those special editions that make them stand out. I do like those. But you're right. I have kind of painted myself into a corner, haven't I? I might get a special edition. Okay. All right. Alec Burke found out his boss has an Audi R8 that he doesn't think he wants people to know about. How does Alec go about asking him for a ride in it? Timing is everything, Alec. (laughs) I will say that first and foremost. Timing. Company stocks down today. Don't ask this morning. (laughs) Exactly. In any sense, you want to sense, is he having a good day, bad day? How's the company doing? Up, down? How's the mood? What's the general temperature in the room? (laughs) What day are we having today? Let's sample that first. That is funny. Secondly is your relationship with your boss. Mm. Some employees and bosses' relationship, they kid around, they punch each other in the arm, everybody's (laughs) friends. Other relationships are not that way. You are there to do a job. You are checking the boxes. You are getting things done. There's managers who just check the boxes to get things done, and they're not Mm -hmm. leaders. They're bosses, and they're not very good. I've experienced both. But if you are close enough and you've gotten onto some car conversations, it's, it's like this, Alec. When you're bringing up ideas, you always want to make your manager or other people in the room feel like it's their idea. That's the secret to getting your ideas pushed through. Mm. You want to bring it up in such a way where they pick that up and they run with it and they like it instead of, this is my idea. I think it's great. We should Mm. do this idea. Well, how does that include everyone else? So if you get to talking about cars and you're at an offsite event and you just, hey, what are you into? And he brings it up. That's a good entry point. Now, if he never brings it up because he doesn't want people to know about it, Mm -hmm. how did you find out? Ooh, interesting question. How do you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if he's truly keeping it secret, it's going to be tough for you to say, I'm that guy. I weaseled into your life and I found out. Because however you found out, maybe other people did too. So maybe there's a little bit of a door crack there to to open. But if you found out somehow, then you can't say a word. Yeah, that's a great question. If it's secret and he really wants it secret. You don't help yourself. <laughs> exactly. Real Teddy B says he hears us on trying different experiences and he wants to, and he appreciates this podcast for it, making him aware of lots of other kinds of cars. Here's the question. He has a uh, 2005 C6 Corvette base model. Okay. Very similar to my dad's car. Okay. He would kind of like to get a C8 Z06 when it comes out, if he can afford to do so. Is that enough of a change? Mm-hmm. I actually would say yes. Now, I would like you, frankly, I'd like you to have experiences other than Corvette before you buy that C8, assuming you can afford the Z06 when it comes out. I really think, Teddy, you need to go out and you need to buy it. You need to drive the Porsche lineup. You need to get into something like an R8. You need to drive other things that are around 100 grand. Drive a, a used new NSX. Oh, yeah. Okay? Yeah. Drive these other things before you really decide if the C8 is for you because I do think that the C8 going mid-engine and jumping from your C6 is revolutionary change. It's a serious change. It is, yeah. The yeah. brand and the logo are the same, but the car is very different. So I think that is enough of a change for you, but I really want to encourage you to drive other things that could compete in that market before you decide the C8's for you. All right, Brian says, has there ever been such a shift in the car market before? It's a great question, but I think yes. Let's start in the 1930s. Mm. when cars were all about features, 
like speedometers and seatbelts and windshields and rearview mirrors and turn signals. The features that hadn't been invented before. Mm. Nobody had ever heard of that or had a reason for a turn signal. Wow. You're giving me this new feature and justifying the reason for me to use it. That will continue. But that was, I think, the first era of, oh my gosh, look at all this new new stuff, new features mm-hmm. that's compelling. The second time, I think, was the 1970s gas crisis when it really got manufacturers' attention. They can't build cars like that anymore. True, true, true. They had to really shift their thinking. Gas isn't a nickel a gallon. Mm-hmm. It's not just whatever, leaded gasoline and huge, giant cars. Just There's hollow spaces behind <laughs> fenders that don't do anything. It's just space. It's just styling. We could just smuggle stuff in you this. Could. And then we'll create NASCAR. It's going to be great. <laughs> it was just absurd. We love them for that, but it was absurd. And so... Car manufacturers thought, huh, an efficient engine. I wonder what that's like. <laughs> Styling maybe, that maybe we should do that. doesn't have to stick four feet behind the rear axle. Huh. I wonder what that'll look like. <laughs> that's weird. What's our answer to that? And then, of course, now. I think those three major times in car history. Yes, every decade has brought you know, development. Every, you know, mm-hmm. y- you can point to a lot. But I think those are the three big ones where manufacturers are really lifting their their heads up out of the sand and going, huh? What are we well, doing? Now what do we do? Tesla, yeah, I've heard of Tesla. I'm not afraid of Tesla. Yeah, you are. <laughs> yeah, you are. You are. J.R. Silva 777 has a question that leads to something you and I have been talking about, a little bit on camera, a little bit off. He says, hang on, hang on. With all the new electric trucks coming, people like to take their trucks and make them even bigger than they came from the factory. <laughs> they like to make them so big they won't fit in the garage yeah, or the parking garage downtown or whatever. How are we charging those trucks? Mm. Are we parking them at the curb and running a cable? Essentially, yes. But this is adding a larger question that Paul and I have been talking about. When you drive an electric vehicle in a downtown area, and, I, and I'm, I'm saying this I, think this, I think this is true across the board. When you, the collective all of us, drive an electric vehicle in a downtown crowded area, you will get it. You will Mm. go, this makes sense. Everything in this stop-and-go traffic downtown clogged area should just be electric. Mm. But here's the problem. Electric cars right now, you and I had a big discussion about this, and we just shot these electric SUVs. Yeah, Yeah, Electric cars right now are best used by people that live in the suburbs that have their own garage with a charger in it. Yep. When you have a bunch of people, Manhattan, okay? (laughs) That's a bunch of people. When you have a bunch of people living in a high-rise or your gentrified whatever that just got reclaimed and now there's a bunch of cool lofts in it, you're going to have, I'm telling you now, one charging station down in the parking garage. Mm -hmm. If everybody in that downtown area garage bought an electric car, you have a scheduling problem. Yep. It's much the problem is much larger than these big electric pickups not fitting in garages. The problem is that the downtown metropolitan areas do not have a place for you to plug in these cars because it's 10 <laughs> floors down and at the curb and there's one charge station. This is going to have to be solved in a in a broad broad way. I mean, I've heard people say things like, you know, what we should make all street lights be car chargers. I mean, it's that kind of thinking is going to be required if we're going to have major downtown areas that have a place to plug in and it has not been solved yet. JR, this is interesting to me from the standpoint of design. And by that, I mean, as a designer, it is up to me, and I speak colloquially and all of us designers, it's up to me to go figure out the usage of that product. I can't design in a vacuum. I can't assume, well, I've seen 
furniture. I've seen people sit in chairs and I've seen people drive cars and I'll just, I'll kind of design for me. Mm. There's no research involved. And to date, I have never heard of a home builder knocking on the door of a car company and saying, what's your future lineup? How should we as architects mm. doing new home planning and new construction or rebuilding homes or, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, rethinking things for you know, large apartment buildings, whatever that is, how should we think? What kind of cars are you giving us in the future? How should we as architects plan for the future for what you're going to give the public? Mm. I don't see architects doing that. I kind of think they hate people and cars because <laughs> have you ever tried to park your car in a parking garage? The entire point, the architect stuffed as many cars in there as closely spaced as possible. You're right, yeah. It enrages me because <laughs> <laughs> there's no space to get out of your car. And what about people with larger cars, to your point? And yeah. Hummers are... Not small. Nope. They didn't get smaller with the electric change. No, they didn't. And so when you try to jam that in there, you can't get out. You can't move. You can't maneuver. And <laughs> the building owner wants as many cars parked in there as possible to Absolutely. maximize revenue. Absolutely. Yeah. Not thinking about how it's actually used. I don't see evidence of that. And I don't see evidence of car manufacturers knocking on the door of the country's largest home builders and saying, Here's what we're coming out with. Here's what we're thinking. Mm. Here's how you should start to rethink your planned communities and your planned houses. And we're giving you options and let's work together. I see no evidence of that. It's interesting how eventually those things affect each other. Because I think about there's a bunch of homes here in the Salt Lake area, okay, that are called the Avenues, all right? It's kind of the north northeastern corner of Salt Lake up mm -hmm. near the university. Yeah. And in the last 10 or 15 years, those homes have exploded in value. Yes, yes. Because the people that want to buy them want to buy a house. I've talked to a few of them. They want to buy a house that has the look of not leading with the garage. Right. These cars were built in like the 30s and 40s before everyone had a car and was obsessed with their car. They had carriage and houses so in the back. They had a garage out back. Yeah. You know, maybe it was converted. wasn't even maybe. You know what? It's, it's now an art studio or they've got to be reconverted to a garage. Right. I've met people that bought those homes and that's what drove up the value. They wanted a house that looked like the house was first. Right. And the garage was second. But then you get into the 50s and 60s, and cars became so ubiquitous and so important and so vital that home builders shifted. Mm -hmm. And now all the way to this day, you have a house that leads with the garage. We're yeah. just now getting to a place where people, if they have the money and can do a custom home, start to move the garage kind of around the side a little bit. But forever, your cookie-cutter homes, you know, you see those neighborhoods where it's just home dispenser, right? <laughs> yeah. Those homes all have like garage first and then house just kind of tucked in next to it. So it's interesting to watch how that does change when a big seismic shift happens. We may be reaching one. I hope it does. I want to see evidence of architects talking to car manufacturers and vice versa. They're ignoring each other. One doesn't know what the other's trying to do. If you would like to see a free rant, you need to be at a car with Paul when you go through a very tight parking garage. Oh, girl. You will hear rants. It is fantastic. <laughs> Guys, thank you so much for all your questions. Your car debates, your topic Tuesdays, your car conclusions, most especially is... Yeah, your debates. Thank you guys so much. It's awesome. We are looking forward to more. Cheers, everyone.